I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris, and I am joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, we're back. Uh, it's been about three weeks since the last episode. Um, I know I went on vacation for a week, went up into the mountains of Georgia, Blue Ridge Mountains, just to get away from things for a little bit. Uh, it's one of the few times of the year I can actually go on vacation because uh, the one thing about soccer, as you know and as our listeners know, it's nonstop. It's, and this, this summer, more than any, yeah. it seems like there's been no break at all. Yeah, there's been no break whatsoever. I mean, it's uh, it's funny. I uh, I went to Central Florida for two days, which is why we didn't do a podcast two weeks ago. And in those two days, I went to Central Florida. All sorts of things blew up. And in fact, uh, my trip, which was just to you know hit natural areas, really got impacted by people calling me about USL and ProRel and Messi and all of the Women's World Cup was coming up. I mean, I thought I timed it so that it was before the Women's World Cup. But boy, this summer has been something else. I, I, I know we've had, quote, summers of soccer before, um, and that seems to be kind of a cliche or a marketing line. Uh, but I, I think you're, you're, you're a private line to me that this is a sea of soccer <laughs> this summer. I think that describes it because this, is, this has been an incredible uh, couple of weeks. And then I've also been consumed by adult amateur soccer, which I know, um, and I have to say that it's the first, first post, like f- fully post-COVID year. So all of a sudden, there's an explosion of grassroots soccer, 7,000, 8,000 at these NPSL games because uh, people were uh, – there wasn't full access to this stuff for many years, I guess. I, I mean, it's just uh, kind of a, a reawakening in a way. Yeah, the working title for this episode, which which we'll probably not end up with. We'll probably use a different one. But uh, the working title before we actually recorded is uh, Lost in a Sea of Soccer. And I think in some ways – I mean – there's so much to choose from. I mean, like, so, so for example, myself as a Swansea City supporter, a team in, in the championship in England or in Wales, but uh, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday, the season starts. And so basically we're, we're recording this midweek. So in about 10 days from now, I mean, the, the second division or EFL starts that same weekend. It's the Community Shield. Um, you mean it's just f- flown by, really, and, and it's lost in a sea of soccer. That part of the reason I I mentioned that as a working working title for this episode is that, that there almost needs to be a a, a choice uh, for a lot of us. So for myself included, probably you too, Kartik, maybe some of the some of the listeners. 
But I think it's impossible this summer to watch everything. And it's almost a choice. Do you watch the Women's World Cup or do you watch everything else? And then everything else, there's so many different things going on, right? European friendlies, Leagues Cup, uh, MLS games, Liga MX games, lower division soccer, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and it's it's tough for me personally. Um, the path I've gone down, the, the choice I've made, for the most part, has been down the path of watching Leagues Cup, watching some of the friendlies and kind of random games. But I haven't watched much of the Women's World Cup other than the U.S. team. What about you, Kartik? Yeah, I've watched uh, uh, pieces or the entirety of every Women's World Cup match so far. So I've gone down a completely different path. Uh, I've watched a lot of NPSL and USL League 2. We've been covering that at Beyond the 90, and I'm this weekend going to one of the championship games in one of the regional leagues. I, and as I said, a lot of people, well, I think a lot more than the last couple summers into that uh, because it's the first post-COVID summer. Um, I've watched a little bit of League's Cup. I've kept up with League's Cup. I have not watched a single minute of a single friendly involving a European club. So, um, yeah, I guess my, I mean, and, I, and that's not a conscious choice, right? I mean, actually, I was pretty interested in the La Liga series and the Premier League series, whatever they're calling them, right? The ESPN uh, La Liga thing and, and the NBC Premier League thing when the summer began, but they overlap with the Women's World Cup. Uh, we didn't know Messi Mania was going to hit the States. And we, uh, and I certainly uh, knew that the adult amateur playoffs would be going on at the same time, but I didn't realize there was going to be so much interest in it, which kind of just forced me to cover it more than just in the kind of casual way I wanted to watch it. So, I, I mean, everything's hitting a boiling point and, uh, and you have to give uh, uh, MLS or, or actually uh, Jorge Moss and Inter Miami credit because I think um, Me Messi has lit a spark and I think it's fueling interest in Maybe not in the in the European club friendly. Maybe the thing that's that's not benefiting directly from it. But everything else, I think there is kind of a a soccer mania going on. Even though, um, as we'll get into, the audience, as you kind of alluded to, is compartmentalized. And and I have to say, like there are a lot of people um, that are just watching the Women's World Cup and are not paying attention to anything else, or a lot of people just watching Leagues Cup and not paying attention to anything else, or you know, and and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think it depends which bubble you're in. So you can be in the Women's World Cup bu bubble and watching those games, even staying up late or basically kind of uh, staying up throughout the night um, or early morning hours watching those games uh, or in some of the, these other bubbles. And it could be a League's Cup bu bubble with uh, MLS games or it could be the European games um, or other other games too. The European games, the friendlies, it, it, it is interesting because you did do a poll, Kartik, on your Twitter account uh, asking your followers uh, what they were watching most of and what were the results of those? Yeah, so um, let me pull it up. Uh, it was only 50% 50, uh, 50 Women's World Cup, which really kind of shocked me because when I when I went into this, I thought it was still going to be 75 or 80%, right? And everything else is a little niche. But it was 51% Women's World Cup, 30% uh, or 29% Leagues Cup, um, and then 12% uh, lower division playoffs, which is the NPSL, uh, USL League 2. Also, the women's, USL Women's League had their final, and it was really kind of well covered and had a good attendance uh, in Indianapolis this past weekend. And then last was only 9% was uh, um, European club friendlies. But I think if we had taken this survey 
in 2019, the last time the Women's World Cup ran. I think the lower league playoff number would be about the same. It was 12%. It might have been like 10 or 11%. Um, you're, I, I think uh, if we substituted the MLS for uh, a league's cup for MLS, it would have been like 4%. And uh, European club friendlies would have been much higher. And Women's World Cup would have been much higher. So my, and again, this is unscientific. It's just among my followers, Chris. I do think, uh, and, and look, we call it like it is. There are a lot of people on here who say, oh, you have an anti-MLS agenda. You guys hate MLS. That's not the case at all. We're just very realistic and honest about numbers. And I am here to say, uh, based on that and based on other anecdotal evidence, I think League's Cup has cut into uh, significantly into people watching the Women's World Cup or focusing on European club friendlies in, the in this country. Now, the question is, is this just a messy effect or is this League's Cup in general being a tournament that has captivated the audience. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, we can theorize it, but um, certainly it's having its effect. Honestly, though, I think right now it's a little bit too soon to really analyze it in, in, in detail and, and come out with a kind of an answer saying, okay, this is exactly what's why League's Cup is getting so much uh, publicity and why say women's world cup is not not getting as much uh etc cetera, etc cetera. but but again too a lot of it depends on how you measure it so for example with the league's cup i mean it it's all about messi i mean in terms of into miami i mean just incredible story it's entertaining watching those games i mean that that's really taking off big time which is fantastic to see Outside of that, I'm not really hearing much about the other games in League's Cup. I'm not hearing much about uh, any fantastic games or I mean, great uh, great attendances. Um, it's still early, but the attendances for the League's Cup games are less than MLS games. Um, but the TV ratings are decent, though. And, and it, it's early in League's Cup because we haven't had a lot of the uh, Club America, Chivas games. Uh, the teams that we have had... Uh, outside of uh, Inter Miami, which those numbers have been, what, 1.75 million for the uh, the debut against uh, Cruz Azul for Messi and Inter Miami. But in, so, in terms of some of the other games on um, like NYC FC against uh, Atlas was uh, 780,000 on Unamas and Tuduene. Uh, it was Philadelphia Union against Tijuana was 461,000 people on Univision. Etc. Etc. So I think League's Cup is interesting. It, it's it is definitely generating interest. Um, I think on the viewership side, I think it's more the Liga Max fans watching the games. Um, however, <laughs> the games that are on MLS season pass, we will never know those numbers. No one will ever know those numbers. The only people that will know those numbers are Apple. And uh, select executives within Major League Soccer, a very small list. And even though the list of those people, they've had to sign NDAs, uh, non-disclosure agreements, uh, to agree to public to, to not leak any of that information. So I think League's Cup, I'm, so I'm excited about League's Cup, but I'm excited about the Messi factor and into Miami and what they've done and what they, I mean, Messi and Busquets especially. Um, so I'm interested in League's Cup. But if Messi and Busquets were not there, I think my interest would drop significantly. What, what about you, Kartik? Well, 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 quite frankly, uh, I was going to say, quite frankly, you know, if Messi were there without Busquets, I don't think it would be the same because 
Um, again, I a lot of people who know me know I have a fetish for central midfielders, and that's the position I, I kind of rate the highest. But I, I don't think you have the kind of fluid football and, and football that would steal Leo Messi's game if uh, Busquets isn't there, quite frankly. Right. So that, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, and before we go into into Miami a little bit more about and, and the Messi effect too, I mean the European friendlies have been kind of almost uh, like like in your poll, a, a less of a priority for a lot of soccer fans. Um, however, if you look at the numbers too, so you had what uh, Manchester United against Arsenal at MetLife, sellout crowd, eighty two thousand people. You had uh, Wrexham playing against. Um, LA Galaxy, the, sec- the the B team, the, the second team, that was uh, 34,000 people, uh, so on and so forth. So you look at the attendances, many of them are so- sold out stadiums. Uh, and the viewership, those are the ESPN numbers and ESPN2. Uh, we, we don't have those numbers right as of now, as of press time. But it's likely that those viewership for those games are actually probably greater than a lot of the, the League's Cup games. Uh, and the big mystery is is MLS season pass, right? Is how many people are actually watching those games on MLS season pass? And because it's behind, basically because those numbers have been held secret, in some ways it makes it sound like it's actually much bigger than what it what it probably is, right? There's a lot of people excited about it from the Messi factor and Busquets factor, but because we don't know what those numbers are, it's hard to critique it. And it's, I think a lot of people are probably thinking, probably in their minds, exaggerating what those numbers actually are, this viewership. Now, now we know the, the Univision number uh, for that Cruz Azul into Miami game, that, that 1.75 million, which is great, fantastic. His debut, great number. And I'm sure a lot of English language uh, viewers and listeners were probably watching that game too. But um what is the MLS season pass number? We don't know, and and, and it's even almost impossible to even even guess what that is. But what about that Inter Miami against uh, Atlanta game that was on Tuesday night in the League's Cup, Kartik? Uh, what were your takeaways from that game? Well, quite quite honestly, I had never watched Inter Miami before, uh, except in their two U.S. Open Cup games against the team I support, Miami FC. I've never seen the team play before. So I may be the wrong audience, but I was very impressed. I thought there was good free-flowing football. Busquets, as you'd expect, just like he was at Barcelona, just like he was for the Spain team that I admittedly have overrated going into every major tournament recently. I picked them to win the World Cup. They were out in the round of 16, I think. I picked them to win the Euros. They lost in the semifinals. I picked them to win the World Cup in Spain. They were out in the round of 16. So uh, I, Busquets is a player maybe I've overrated, but I, 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 I love watching him um, even more than I like Messi, honestly. So um, I'm watching Inter-Miami because uh, I'm watching him in the center of the action. And the, and the football is, you could see just a week or two weeks on the training ground with Dr. Martino, uh, these players are getting it. And it's not necessarily um, these, these high-level uh, European players. It's the players that were at Inter Miami already. Some local guys, American players, uh, guys that have been journeymen, uh, and then obviously DeAndre Yedlin, who was the captain until Messi got the armband in, in this match. Um, their game's being elevated by playing with Busquets and playing with Messi, um, and they will be playing with more uh, high-end players. Alba, obviously, we know for sure, um, in, in the near future. So, yeah, it was very enjoyable. Um, Atlanta, uh, Pretty, 
poor defensively, I think. But, you know, this is what happens um, for those who haven't watched a lot of La Liga or watched a lot of Barcelona or the Spanish national team through the years, or even now the Spanish women's national team, same thing. And, and they've been spectacular in this Women's World Cup so far. Uh, maybe the best team. Uh, they, it's death by a thousand cuts, right? Chris, you and I are both keenly aware of how um, they play. And so you're seeing that even kind of the passing moves and, and the movement off the ball, it's really high level. And um, uh, look, you can, you can say things about MLS defenses. I saw that last night on Twitter and this morning after the recording this on Wednesday, the day after that game. But I, I think this would happen to defenses. I mean, I, I pointed out, I, I think in the Bundesliga, the defending is just as bad as we saw from Atlanta. So um, it's, it's really good to watch. And, and, the question is, and this is a big question, okay, because um, people are going to say this is condescending and maybe nasty on my part, but do enough fans of MLS and enough fans of American uh, professional soccer, MLS, USL, and then all the, you know, all the lower divisions, do they quite have the same appreciation for that type of football that um, many people in Europe do, uh, many people in South America do? I don't know the answer to that. I think they might. But maybe they don't. Maybe they don't see um, because this. There was even this case when Barcelona was at their high, at the high, high point, and even now with Manchester City, that there were a lot of people condescendingly say that's you know that's kind of boring. We don't want to see this boom, 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 boom. These moves, although the way Messi uh, finished off, um, uh, Messi was involved in all four goals last night. I mean, but the way he finished off two of those moves was just spectacular. Um, but that's a big question. I mean, what is the audience's pre personal preferences? In the U.S., what is their sophistication level? Or maybe that is maybe that is condescending to say sophistication. What is their personal preferences would be the way to look at it. Is this the kind of football they want? It, it's the kind of football I want, but I don't know about the audience in general. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I, I definitely think this is exactly what, what the audience wants. Um, and I think they appreciate it and, and, and they see it. And, and just as one example, my dad who's never been a soccer fan and only in the last couple of years has he really started to warm up to watching more games, partly because of Wrexham, because he's from that area. That was his local team as a kid. So he's been following it a lot more closely. And then from spending time with him on Friday night, watching the Cruz Azul game, and then Tuesday night, watching the Atlanta United game uh, with him. And I don't think I've, uh, I probably never watched a soccer game with him to see his excitement and, and amazement at the skill level and, and what Messi was producing and Busquets and, and Robert Taylor and Drake Cal Calendar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I was like watching it going like, I was like stunned, like, like just watching kind of uh, just watching him in the same room and just how he reacted. It was really exciting. What I think in terms of the question about sophistication, I think the part that is harder for a lot of uh, soccer fans to get is the defensive side, is the difference between good defending and bad defending. And, you I mean, to me, you mentioned that, yeah, Atlanta United were poor defensively, but we've seen in the Bundesliga and other leagues, you mean, there's pretty poor, poor de defending. I'm looking at you, uh, Borussia Dortmund, especially. But, uh, <laughs> but, but to me, though, Kartik, I mean, Atlanta United took it to a whole different level. I mean, it was it was like high school defending. I mean, in terms of the amount of space uh, that they allowed the the attackers, um, 
time on the ball, just just really basic mistakes. And in that game against Cruz Azul, I thought Cruz Azul were unlucky not to win that game. They had like four or five really good chances early in the game. They had some other other chances to score that they kept on missing. Uh, but Atlanta United was was woeful. Even the penalty that Atlanta took was was absolutely awful. Um, I felt sorry for them, but to me, watching it as as a fan, you know, and I've watched most of Inter Miami Inter Miami's games over the last four years, and have seen how bad they are, consistently awful, and and then seeing how these just these two players, how much of a difference they make in this squad, and how they link up together, and how they're actually giving the opportunities for. Joseph Martinez, Robert Taylor, giving them the service that they probably didn't get before, raising their games too by being on, on the same pitch. It's been a joy to watch. And, and to me right now, Amy, to me, into Miami, it's a must watch. I mean, seeing what happens next every single game. However, Kartik, what about the rest of MLS, right? is, is do, do we, or does MLS, are they missing out because people aren't paying attention to the rest of the league? Uh, potentially, right? I mean, I, I think that that's, uh, that's possible, but I've never been an advocate for parity. This is part of the reason I, I so object to the MLS system, other than the, uh, in addition to the fact that I don't like the, there being no free agency, no real free agency, that they're taking all this government uh, taxpayer handouts to build stadiums and all of that. I have many reasons why I don't like MLS ideologically. One of them is the parity. I think they needed a super club. They had a super club. The first several years of the of the league, DC United was really good. Uh, yeah. People who just start watch started watching MLS recently don't know that that DC United team. I think you could have plopped the Danny League in Europe and they would have survived any top division. That's my opinion. I know a lot of people disagree with that. I think they were that good, and then ten years later, you didn't have any MLS team at that same level because the salary cap kicked in. Um, there were exemptions the first couple of years um, uh, of MLS was in existence, and then all these teams got torn apart and. The, the, the talent was spread around the league. I don't think that's good. I mean, I, I, I think it was great when we had the NASL operating, the NASL I worked for, the second NASL, and everybody had uh, a, a dislike of the New York Cosmos, and they had a bullet on their back the whole time. I think it's terrible what's happened to the LA Galaxy in, in MLS. They, you need super clubs. You need big-time big rivalries. You need this sort of stuff. To make this make it meaningful, and if that means everybody hates uh, Inter Miami the way they hated the Miami Heat in in the NBA, because I mean I, I think there's also a bias against South Florida. Maybe this is me just being very parochial, but there seems to be a resentment when players, high level players, go to teams in New York and LA. It's great, but when high level players come to teams in South Florida, it's bad, right? LeBron signing for the Heat was terrible. People thought. Um, then bring it on. You know, let, let's have. Let, I think it'll be great for MLS if everybody has a rivalry with Inter Miami and everybody's. Um, they've got a bull on their back. Now, that having been said, it's really early for that, given where they are on the table. But if you Alba's in, if uh, the Luis Suarez rumors are correct, uh, Sergio Ramos, although based on what I saw at PSG, he's not really at that level anymore. But he's a guy that I think is great from a character standpoint for the league. Right? He's the kind of guy that gets people angry. Uh, and gets people fired up. I think MLS needs those guys. They needed Ibra, and they were only able to keep him here for a year. Um, they need guys like Cellini. I'm glad he's in the league. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a really positive thing. Just real quickly on Atlanta's penalty. 
Um, that's another theme of the last week, Chris. Anyone who's watched the Women's World Cup also. The, um, the kind of meek penalty taking we've been seeing, uh, I, I'm beginning to think that, that what, I don't know if it's psychological or if it's uh, the way the game has evolved or the rules, but it feels like more and more now in critical situations, keepers have an advantage on, pen, on penalties. Penalties in a match, not penalty shootouts after, after matches when everyone's tired. Um, because it just seems so many either meekly taken penalties like that one uh, or keepers guess right, as we're seeing in the Women's World Cup um, and making saves. So uh, that's, a, that's a whole other thing that really has come to my mind in the sea of soccer in the last week is, is the, the anatomy of a penalty kick. Yeah, to me, it's uh, Messi and Busquets and, and into Miami is the best thing that could have happened to Major League Soccer because now people are starting to pay attention. People are watching these games. People are going to the stadium. I mean, before, I mean, before the uh, League's Cup began, you could have gotten a ticket to these League's Cup games with Inter-Miami uh, face value for about $25. Now those tickets are anywhere from $140 to $200 uh, on the low end and going up from there. But, I mean, yes, financially, this is a great move for Major League Soccer and for Inter-Miami especially. But it does put MLS on the map. It does make people pay attention. There's even a story today that we have at worldsoccertalk.com where Pedri was talking about that. Okay, once he's done with Barcelona, he wants he's interested in moving to, to MLS. So it does open the door. I mean, it gives instant credibility. And however, going back to the question I had before is no one's talking about these other teams in MLS. I mean, nobody's talking right now. Yes, FC Cincinnati is doing great. You I mean, great teams. St. Louis is a great story. Austin's incredible stadium and a great atmosphere. But right now, nobody's talking about those other teams or any of the, the other teams, really. So for Inter-Miami, moving through to the round of 32 in the League's Cup, uh, in the semifinals of the U.S. Open Cup, has an opportunity to go all the way. This opportunities for uh, CONCACAF Champions League qualification, Club World Cup co qualification. I mean, there's a lot of different things coming up, even the, the Copa Libertadores or well, CONMEBOL and CONCACAF doing a joint competition. So th there's a, more opportunities for Messi to play with Inter Miami outside of MLS um, in some really good uh, competitions. But I just uh, worry a little bit about the rest of MLS is... Is this going to have an impact? Is this going to make people watch the other teams more? And I think it's 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 the opposite. I think everyone's going to be so focused on watching the Inter Miami games that pretty soon, at some point, there's going to be some some of the other teams or some of the uh, other players on other teams or some of the, the other uh, uh, owners of, of these teams feeling left out, feeling that that uh, no one's really kind of as interested in, in them. Uh, as they were before, unless they're playing into Miami. And then all of a sudden, they're in the limelight. So that's my concern. Going back to the game on uh, Tuesday night between Atlanta and uh, into Miami, some of the positives, just to mention these, I think first first and foremost is that uh, more cameras. I mean, that, that's been a big addition to the Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale. Adding more cameras really makes a big difference in terms of the quality of production. Um, kind of overhead cameras too. They've added a ton of cameras to make the production better. Uh, 
the atmosphere in the stadium is you know, probably a thousand times better than what it was before. Uh, the games are almost sold out, if not completely sold out, pretty pretty close to it. And, and the entertainment value is is off the charts. Uh, to me, like I mentioned before, it makes uh, Inter Miami games a must watch. And last but uh, not least, it automatically raises the bar, uh, raises the interest in the League's Cup. Before Messi, yes, there was interest. You and I, Kartik, were really interested and, and hyped up for it. Now that takes it to the next level, especially with them moving through to the round of 32. Some of the negatives, um, we mentioned the defense, and, and I worry too about some of these other MLS defenses. Um, are they as bad as Atlanta United? Will they kind of think about tactically in terms of how they play against Inter Miami? Maybe like actually marking Busquets, Busquets and, and Messi and trying to prevent them from uh, playing that way? Uh, does that expose, you mean, some other players that that now are, you know, have op- more open space to attack? And does that expose the, de- the defensive uh, woes there? And then, last but not least, in terms of the negatives, it does bring in a lot of glory hunters. And we saw this. I'm not sure if you saw it, at Kartik, but uh, video of the game against Atlanta United from Inter Miami. And as soon as yep. Messi gets substituted, you've got. I mean, thousands of people leaving the leaving the game with with about uh, more than ten minutes to go in the game. They're, they're just drifting out of the stadium, exiting because I mean, yes, they're winning four nothing. The game's practically over, uh, and parking and, and, and getting out of there. You know, it's not that bad. It's, it's it could be a lot worse. It's a small stadium, but uh, a lot of people just leaving because it's also a weeknight. It was also a weeknight, though. In fairness, right? Yeah. So what about you? And any uh, other positives or negatives you took from bro- watching that broadcast? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this you're, you're right. This automatically raises interest in, in MLS. I think uh, one of the things that I'm concerned about is you talk about MLS defenses. Now, I don't think it was good. I mean, there'll be a bunch of Real Madrid fans maybe listening that are going to get very angry about this. But I, I don't think it was good for football at all when Jose Mourinho was at Real Madrid. And they basically... Uh, had you have 10 field players, right? So you have 10 guys who, who can get a yellow card for fouling Messi. And we saw some really bad El Clasicos in that period. I think you would probably agree with me, Chris. Some really borderline unwatchable El Clasicos because Mourinho in his cynical ways set up a team to not just def- uh, defend Messi, but to kind of hack him and foul him and, and really rough him up. Um, and I'm fearful that you will have MLS managers who copy that. Now, to Atlanta's credit, they didn't. They gave us a spectacle. Maybe it wasn't good for them. But um, to their credit, they, they're not that cynical. But that's my concern when you talk about the MLS defenses, that maybe uh, the Mourinho game plan. You also have to have incredibly disciplined, kind of smart midfielders and defenders to execute that plan that, that Mourinho uh, had. I'm trying to remember the specific El Clasico one, but you, you probably remember it better than I do, Chris. Uh, there was one El Clasico that was just unwatchable because of this this tactic by yeah. Mourinho. And he, he, even off the pitch, too, after the game was over, was it uh, Jose Mourinho was like grabbing the ear of one of the uh, other coaches, <laughs> yeah. assistant coaches, and it, it, it was like basically the dark arts uh, for, for 90 minutes plus more. It was really, really unwatchable. But... um. But but let's get into the numbers a little bit though, Kartik, because um so so for background, 
for those who don't know, with WorldSoccerTalk.com, our specialty really, our forte really, is a lot of it's the the TV schedules, it's the, the TV information, the streaming details. Really, that's kind of our a differentiator in regards to all the other sites out there. And yes, we have a ton of great soccer writers and soccer news, et cetera, and analysis. But the TV schedules is kind of really kind of where we uh, stand out from the crowd. And on an average month, including uh, the last 30 days, uh, we have more than a million page views a month. So we can see instantly in terms of where the interest is uh, for people watching games. I mean, are they kind of really going crazy over League's Cup or are they watching Women's World Cup more? Uh, what are they searching for? What, what's the types of information they're looking for to, to watch these games? And for the most part, with MLS Season Pass, it's other than the first couple of weeks when there was a lot of interest, I think a lot of fans trying to seek out information, it plateaued for quite, quite, quite some time. Now, I will say that Inter-Miami-Atlanta game, uh, partly because it was only available in MLS Season Pass, that was the only place you could see it, the interest level skyrocketed big time, big time. We got a ton of traffic for people searching for the information about uh, MLS Season Pass and Leaks Cup and, and, and where to watch the game and, and kind of all the, all the details that we had. And then earlier this week, or, or it might have been late last week, uh, information released uh, through Sports Business Journal, I think earlier this week actually, mentioning that uh, MLS is close to having 1 million subscribers to MLS Season Pass. Kartik, when you when you heard that number and kind of read through some of the details, what, what were your initial thoughts on that? I, I was upbeat when I saw the headline. And as I read through it, the it became more kind of qualifiers than ever. Okay, so that includes season ticket holders. That includes T-Mobile subscribers that got the, the, the T-Mobile Tuesday uh, free deal. That includes LG people who got that, redeemed that offer. And... Um, if you then assume the rest of the group, let's say of the, of the million, 500,000 have paid. If you assume that they've paid uh, 79 or $99, depending on their status with Apple, that's still a lot of money that's been lost on this package in year one. Now, this is all before Messi, uh, right? For, or, well, I mean, some of it's after we knew Messi was coming before he actually took, took the pitch. So um, maybe that number skyrockets in the next month or two, and we have a better better feel for it and we feel better about it, I should say. But at this point, they're, the million, uh, if you don't probe into it, you think, oh, a million, million people, that's great. You know, ESPN, Fox, they never got a million people to watch MLS games on a regular basis. But, uh, and again, that's a million for combined for every MLS team. But um, yeah, uh, financially, because of uh, how much they pay, the outlay was, the price point, what it is, which is high for most people. We've talked about that. They are still losing their, I don't want to say they're losing their shirt on this. It's not quite that bad, but they're still losing a lot of money at this point. Yeah, I, I would Just say do actually, the math. Yeah, they're, they're probably losing the shirt too, Kartik. Yeah, actually, yeah. And, yeah. It, and, it, and it makes for a great headline, right? It's like MLS and Apple nearing 1 million subscribers for MLS season pass. I mean, that's great news. And it really is good news. Uh, however, we're one of the few, if, if the only ones, that question things and say, okay, what, what does that really mean? And oftentimes, because we, we question things and analyze things, we get the abuse. Like, ah, like, why are you being so negative? Why, why are you focusing on the details? Can, 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 can't you just accept it and move on? 
Well, the reality is, no, we can't, can't just accept it for what it is. That's part of our role as journalists is to ask the questions and, and investigate. And you meant you mentioned too that uh, you mean roughly half a million uh, subscribers. I, I don't think paid subscribers. I don't think it's that big because you, you look at the million. So they're nearing a million. So maybe they have nine hundred thousand people, right? That, that have signed up. Um, there's four roughly four hundred to four hundred twenty thousand. Uh, season ticket holders. Many of them have uh, MLS season pass for free. Uh, T-Mobile, you mentioned, T-Mobile has, I believe, about 25 million customers. Uh, you mean, what portion of those signed up for MLS season pass that was given away for free? There's Metro PCS, there's LG, like you mentioned, uh, in Mexico, because they couldn't find any TV partners willing to uh, go ahead and broadcast League's Cup. They gave uh, MLS season pass away for free uh, for, for one month throughout Mexico. Um, so that that's a considerable number. On top of that, too, I mean, MLS has free trials, right? They have a one-month free trial offered through the clubs, um, and they've got some other free trials going, too. So, so the number of paid subscribers, we don't know what that number is. MLS does. I mean, a select few that have signed NDAs, and Apple knows. But um, it's not it's I it's nowhere near a million in terms of paid subscribers. And, and maybe that isn't so bad because for the first year, they have to consider this a loss. They have to consider that this is a massive loss in terms of the money that they've spent to you know, have the production studios, everything that goes into this. And then the hope is that once people subscribe, uh, well, they, they got the free stuff right next season. OK, now. Now it's whatever price it is, $99 a season. Okay, is it worth signing up? And, and hopefully it will be. Uh, and then at that point, hopefully, I mean, in terms of making money off MLS season pass, you I mean, it, it can happen at that point. The other thing to think about with this too, Kartik, is this is um, nearing a million subscribers worldwide. This is not just you know, the United States. This is worldwide. So just to take that into consideration too, this is not just uh, North America or the, or the U.S. This is worldwide. So yeah, it's, probably, I, it's encouraging. It's encouraging, but it's still look. If you do the math, and let's say everybody paid uh, for ninety nine dollars for the subscription, not even seventy nine, uh, using your number of four hundred thousand, which I think is actually more accurate than mine. I was trying to be give uh, Apple the benefit of the doubt here and say half a million. It's about forty million dollars they would have recouped, which is well below what they paid. And yes, it's global, um, which also I think has to be the focus now because of Messi. I think they're more likely to sell packages abroad um, maybe than in the U.S. And, and honestly, I think perhaps Apple is less polarizing as a company. This isn't MLS's fault, uh, other than maybe you could argue MLS should have found another media partner. But um, Apple is less polarizing, maybe as a as a company. Uh, it's less less offensive for people to sign up for an Apple product in in other parts of the world than in in parts of the U.S. There are there are people who are avoiding MLS because of who their partner is, which I think is really unfortunate. But uh, I've been exposed to that, as we talked about on a previous podcast. That it's not something I I understood until now, until the last few months. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think the other part of this too is that um, MLS and Apple really need to pay attention to these exclusive games that are available on MLS Season Pass in terms of piracy. And we look at Atlanta United against uh, Inter Miami. Uh, there were a lot of pirated streams out there, which I was surprised by because, okay, it's not available on television anywhere in the world. It's only available on Apple. There's no system in this world that is, uh, I mean, that hasn't been pirated, right? So that's that's the fear. That's the concern for Major League Soccer and Apple is can they police that? Can they make sure that, I mean, outside of the US, I mean, if it's in South America or if it's in, Asia or wherever it is in this world, are they able to crack down and prevent illegal streaming and pirated streams? Because that directly really hits MLS hard. And actually, even for Messi, right? The last thing Messi wants, because he has this deal with Apple, is that he will get a you know, a percentage or a commission of all of the international signups um, outside of the US, I believe. Um, for MLS season pass. He's going to take a cut of that. That's one of the reasons he joined MLS is that he's probably thinking, okay, this is an opportunity for me to really take uh, Apple TV and you know, make it mainstream, make it popular outside of, of the US and, and blow up those numbers. And then he profits from that. But piracy, that that's a huge concern. So that's something uh, we'll be taking a, a closer look at um, at worldsoccertalk.com. Kotick, uh, let's move on to the mailbag uh, and let's take a look and see what people are saying. First up is Robert, and Robert's got a couple of messages here. Uh, first of all, he says, watching the Inter-Miami game and um, and the Messi and Robert Taylor link, a comment on the BBC by a Premier League uh, reporter uh, who pointed out that Robert Taylor came from the English Championship, so not much there. 
What Leo does is elevate the, the level of play for the whole team. What Taylor lacks in skill is made up with work rate. I expect uh, Joseph Martinez to benefit, me, benefit from Messi's setups. Last night, his dummy for the Taylor goal showed good vision. With a couple more quality players, Inter Miami may be fun to watch. Uh, the Open Cup is possible. The MLS Cup is a really long shot. But like I've said, uh, how much has Inter Miami bent or broken the rules? Yeah, and going back to what you said too, Kartik, about uh, parity and how so many people for so many years, Alexi Lalas, probably the, the key spokesperson for the parity movement. <laughs> uh, it's just, I mean, having a power club like Inter Miami makes such a difference. And, and if you can get another team like that in MLS that's going to be a rival, I mean, maybe it's LAFC, maybe, maybe it's uh, in some other team in this league, Maybe it's um, FC Cincinnati or St. Louis or some someone like that. No, nah, it's got to be a team in a in a big big, big city. It's got to be LA. Yeah, it's got to be oh. LA or New York. Oh, LA or, or Seattle. I mean, it's got to be someone like that. Well, I mean, if Chicago could get their act together, maybe it could be them. Yeah, I just don't see. It, I don't see it happening in New York and in LA. LAFC, you know, ever since. Uh, the uh, was a Club World Cup. They've kind of fallen off the cliff. No, Concacaf Champions League. They've fallen off the cliff. LA Galaxy is not that good. I mean, they could always. I mean, it could they, always be Philly. But it could always be Philadelphia because Philadelphia has. Uh, I'm very critical of MLS, as, as people know. But Philadelphia is one team in MLS I watch. And when I said I've never watched an Inter Miami game other than a, a, you know Open Cup against my team, Miami FC, which is a USL team, uh, the last four years I've never watched them until last night. I've watched Philly probably two or three dozen times because they are under Jim Curtin and with the uh, setup that Ernie Stewart put in place there, they are a joy to watch. They are a team that has uh, playing principles and has a DNA and they're in a big city. So maybe it could be them and they would be, uh, I think a good matchup in terms of kind of playing style for inner Miami. I could, I could see them being the opposite where it's more pragmatic and, and actually playing smarter, playing, defensively kind of a you I mean a, a better shape and actually being into Miami's kind of nemesis in terms of preventing them from scoring so many goals yeah, that's true yeah but um but knowing MLS they're, they're going to try to probably sign some players for LA again and one of the New York teams probably NYCFC and try to create something out of that I, I just don't see it happening um all right Robert uh, continues he says um now, it's probably good that neither of you commented on the disaster called the MLS All-Star Game. Last year's format was the best. I do not like the All-Star Games. This year's shambolic effort was a setback. All the top Premier League teams are All-Star teams from the world over, and they have worked together. Throwing some good players onto the field after having a couple of days to mesh is a formula for chaos. I do not like the League's Cup, but there have been some good games. Uh, was Messi's first game scripted. It was a perfect debut. Last weekend, 10-man uh, uh, Minnesota United uh, was had a big win. That was something. I do not follow Liga Mackies, so their opponent may be a bottom team. They looked slow and played poorly. So I guess the question is, are you both ignoring the competition? Uh, the League's Cup is being swamped by the people viewing the Women's World Cup as it should be. Some great football is happening. So all-star games, I've talked about this before. I have like zero interest in it and had a conversation with MLS uh, maybe about three years ago. 
and they asked me, hey, Chris, like, what do you think about this MLS All-Star game coming up? And I told them, I was like, I have zero interest. Like, to me, it is just uh, kind of fabricated something that, that have, I have no interest in watching. It's something that's, you mean, to me, it's not meaningful. It's not relevant. You mean, it, it's completely unwatchable. And 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 continue, continue, for the most part, to not watch any All-Star games. Um I'm sure you're you're on the same same boat there, Kartik. I would imagine. Yeah, I, although I will admit, in 2006, which is now 17 years ago, I did travel to Chicago specifically to watch the MLS All Star Game. So at one time, I kind of was into it. They were playing Chelsea, who had just won the Premier League uh, two successive years, and the MLS All Stars actually won that game. Um, uh, Dira goal. Uh, Dwayne De Rosario, uh, one of the best players in MLS history, at least in my opinion. I know a lot of newbies don't uh, don't may not know as much about him, um, but yeah, for the last ten years or so, I haven't watched it. I haven't paid attention. I think Robert's point is well taken. They don't they don't train together. They don't play together. Again, uh, this is important. When that game took place in two thousand six, there were only ten teams in MLS or twelve teams in MLS. So a lot of the players there were and there was a disproportionate number of DC United players on that All Star team. So they had all kind of played together. Um, now you've got twenty nine teams. I'm basically a player or team on the all-star team. It's not, those teams are never going to do very well. I do think they keep it going because they have um, league meetings and, and other, um, in fact, I, I've, I've a lot that happened with league meetings have leaked out to me uh, that happened last week when they were in DC. But I do think as we go forward in the league's cup era, uh, there's probably no need for it. Now you break up the season with the league's cup in the middle, and you can do uh, you can do your uh, um, um, league meetings at the league's cup final, uh, wherever it ends up being. Yeah, I think the uh, the best word to describe the All Star Game, in in my opinion, is contrived. So before I move on to the next uh, letter, I have to I have to apologize. I think I made a mistake earlier in the podcast talking about uh, Wrexham's game against uh, LA Galaxy Two. Actually, it was at Wrexham against uh, Man United's academy was the one that had the 32,000 uh, sellout crowd. So Patrick mentions Wrexham, which is what made me think of it. Patrick says, you guys are overestimating Wrexham way too much. Chapel Hill was filled with so many Chelsea kits and barely any Wrexham kits. Right now, Dignity Health Sports Park is empty. Also, you guys can get mad at me if you like, but I, I don't believe streaming is the way to go too many leagues and services to pay for, not to mention buffers all the time when the router isn't near you. And MLS Season Pass is a disaster. Buffers just all the time. No Android app is absolutely maddening in this day and age. And I hope the Premier League stays on NBC Sports forever um, so I don't have to watch my team on streaming. I will never pay for streaming. Only reason I have MLS Season Pass is because it was free from T-Mobile. I hope these companies continue to lose money over piracy until they make one package for all leagues and I'll happily pay. Cheers. So there's a few things there. It's um, There's never going to be one streaming service that offers everything. It's always going to be, it might go back to cable where you could get uh, some of it, I mean, like a streaming package that has some of the ones, maybe ESPN and Paramount Plus, uh, teaming up against with each other, or, or a buyout, or something, or something along those lines, um, or Comcast acquiring more streaming services, and 
bundling Peacock with, um, I don't know, with, with Paramount Plus as an example, that those things might happen. But, but streaming is here. Streaming is not going away. Uh, if anything, cable is dying. I mean, and, and we've seen that from the numbers, um, but we will come to a time pretty soon where just as we used to be so reliant on cable and it was just switch it on and it was there, um, I think in terms of technology improvements and enhancements, streaming will, will be that same way. Uh, you'll just switch on your TV and you won't even think that, okay, this is streaming versus cable. It's just, that's just the way, the way it is. And, and speaking of streaming, I have to tell say that I've been blown away by uh, the Peacock picture during this uh, Women's World Cup. Now, um, I, I did give Fix Pox a shot. Uh, we we can talk about that maybe on another podcast. I have an analysis of Pox's commentary and, and uh, studio shows uh, around the uh, around the Women's World Cup. But the picture, so this is, I, I, I tend to kind of ha- share some of Patrick's frustrations about streaming, and I wish this stuff was on cable. But with the Women's World Cup, what I found is, um, when you have a top event, a huge event like that, and you've got all the camera angles and you've got all of the technology uh, there uh, that FIFA is doing, that the feed that comes over the stream is actually better and kind of purer and, and not uh, and uh, uh, really kind of a 4K stream on Peacock. And there are people telling me uh, Fox Sports app is the same thing. If you compare Fox Sports app, um, streaming app to Fox on television, same thing Peacock versus Telemundo. The streaming is better, just the quality of the of the picture. Yeah, and we've seen that before too. With some TV networks, will actually down downgrade the signal, so the quality isn't as good. So they might say it's 4K, but if you look at it pretty closely, it doesn't look like 4K. Uh, vice versa for for other types of technology in terms of downgrading the actual quality, so that uh, it's passable, um, but not what it should be. While sometimes on streaming. Like you said, with with Peacock, I have to check that out with the Women's World Cup. Is is uh, uh, and they have all the games in Spanish, but they're it, they've got every single game. Uh, the quality can be better. Yeah, and uh, they've got every game on demand too. So um, I, I don't know if they've kept the whole library from the World Cup, but uh, the first few days of the World Cup, I stayed up. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you saw my agony in terms of my my uh, uh, my ability uh, uh, during the day to function because I had stayed up all night to watch these games live. But the last couple nights, I've uh, I've gone to bed at a normal time, woken up and caught up on all the streams on Peacock, um, and uh, and they're there, right? They're there several hours later and on demand. It's not like the Premier League where you have to wait 24 hours or or whatever that rule is for that they have for games that are on USA Network. Uh, they're showing them they're there right away. All right. We got a bunch more comments to go through, and it is hot as hell out there, temperature wise. So we're going to speed through these a little bit just because, uh, man, it's hot. Uh, we need to cool down with, with a beverage or something like that before we watch uh, the game later today. Uh, Dave says um, this is in regards to Wrexham's streaming package uh, on iFollow to, to, to subscribe to that. So you can watch uh, almost all the home and away games. Dave says, what do you see as the market of people who would pay roughly $200 per year? year? I assume um, most already have ESPN Plus for Wrexham games. I would guess that iFollow appeals overwhelmingly to fans with a pre-existing strong connection to a specific team. Does Wrexham have that outside of Wales? 
Uh, it is a very fun story, but as a neutral, I cannot imagine paying $200 for just one club. And then Tom, let me read Tom's here. Tom says, I just paid out a little under two. Uh, actually, let me reread that. Re -read that. T Tom says, I just paid out a little under $300 for Aberdeen's Red TV streaming service. As you say, if you support that team, you do what you need to do. And I can watch every game which people in Scotland cannot. And I, and I think that goes a long way to answering Dave's question. Is, is it, yeah, definitely. Um, for the most part, it is a pre-existing strong connection. But personally, too, I know from Swansea City's um, streaming service is that sometimes I get questions from, from listeners or readers uh, asking about the service. And they might be a new fan or they might be wanting to watch uh, sometimes like one game or, or, or on a month uh like on a monthly basis, and there are different options available. So the cheapest way to do it is to spend the $200 or the $300, uh, and then it costs less per game, or you can spend, I don't know, 10 bucks for uh, one game or 20 bucks for the month, those types of price points. But um, yeah, in terms of trying to figure out how many people would actually be paying that $200 a year for the Wrexham games, it's hard to tell. But there is a lot of fans out there, Wrexham fans in the US, and we've seen that from the games against Man United and against Chelsea and against uh, LA Galaxy uh, 2, is there's a large amount of really, really diehard uh, Wrexham fans that are American. So we'll have to wait and see how many of them sign up. But it, it is expensive. But for, for many of us, myself included, uh, it's money well spent. Alrighty, up next is Ryan. Ryan says he wants to talk talk to us about the Women's World Cup. Ryan says, great job as always with the pod. In regards to the Women's World Cup, why has FIFA had such a hard time selling the rights, particularly in Europe? Seems like the product should be as marketable as ever. Kartik, any uh, opinion? Yeah, I think that they, they wanted a higher amount of money than uh, the bidders were willing to, to bid. Uh, I, I agree. This this World Cup in particular, I, I had a fear, and I guess maybe this goes back, same thing we experienced when the Euros went to 24 teams. I had a real fear that the World Cup expanding to 32 teams, uh, the Women's World Cup expanding to 32 teams was going to dilute the competition. If anything, it's made it, I, to me, the group stage has been much better than it was in 2019. I think what we have is uh, um, football. It's easier to catch up in the women's game, right? It doesn't take as much in the way of resources. So you have nations who don't necessarily have um, ha haven't had a great run of it recently in the men's game that maybe have put more money, uh, relatively speaking, into the women's game. No one puts more money in the women's game than the men's game, but you know what I'm saying, just kind of relative. And what we have seen is an ultra competitive World Cup where Europe, in particular, the the, the, the um, nations from Europe have looked very good. Uh, even the ones that haven't won games, like Ireland lost, has lost both their matches, but they've looked uh, good against Australia, and they looked very good against Canada for large portions of that match. Um, just not clinical enough either in either match. So um, the level of competition is much better. I've been really happy with uh, CONCACAF, right? Haiti played, really gave England a game. They were unfortunate not to get a draw. Uh, Jamaica played very well against France, uh, again, uh, playing up uh, to a higher level. Uh, Costa Rica gave Japan a decent test. You know, they were obviously overmatched in the end. But um, so it's more competitive. And I think next time the rights will go for uh, probably more money. 
Also, I think for this tournament, Chris, unfortunately, the time zone thing is a problem. And FIFA, to their credit, has tried to schedule specific national teams uh, in windows where they can be watched maybe in a less inconvenient time in their home markets. That's why you've had two U.S. games start in primetime U.S. time, which is an awkward time. Um, it, it may be in Australia and New Zealand. And then the Canada-Ireland game was, was, was begun at a really awkward time uh, in, in Australia in order to get it on television in Canada and, uh, and Ireland at times that people could watch the game. So um, they've, they, they've finagled it a bit, little bit, and maybe that'll make the, the broadcasters happy. Also, um, uh, one thing that I, I've been really impressed with is the attendances. Or maybe, I don't know the attendance numbers, but the crowds have added to that TV atmosphere at this Women's World Cup. I, I, I think the crowds have been much better than I expected. But, um, you know, Australia is a country, I think, Australia and New Zealand are countries people want to visit. So you see a lot of people having made the trek to support their national teams. Um, I do think the rights will go for more in 2027, just to summarize, to answer the question. Yeah, yeah. And two, just two things real fast is one is I agree with you, Kartik, about the uh, the time zones. And when Ryan asks about Europe, why was Europe uh, having a, such a hard time uh, basically buying the rights to the Women's World Cup? I mean, it was really the actual timing in the games, right? When the game, I mean, actually, it's even better than it is in the US. But in the US, having games at you know, three o'clock in the morning or you mean midnight or you mean early, early hours basically is not... Uh, not uh, optimal by any means, and in Europe too, it's not prime time. So that that definitely is a factor. But the second thing, which is the big thing, that probably definitely the bigger reason to me is in Europe uh, for the Women's World Cup is that the Women's World Cup uh, rights to watch to actually broadcast those games were sold separately. So yes, women's uh, women's soccer in general has grown by leaps and bounds. But in previous years, it would have been bundled with the the men's World Cup together as a package, and FIFA going out to the European countries and selling it on its own in a time zone that was unfavorable for the European primetime markets in the summertime, right when a lot of European Europeans are on vacation. Uh, yeah, it's it's those are the reasons that um, FIFA had a hard time try, actually trying to sell the rights to it. Next up is Dan. Dan wants to talk to talk to us about promotion and relegation. Dan says, I'm a huge fan of ProRel and have always enjoyed the, ele- the elevated drama that comes with it at the end of a season. As is often discussed, MLS itself seems like the biggest barrier to accomplishing this in the US. That being said, we have other challenges we need to uh, overcome first. Uh, first would be the quality of some of the facilities in lower divisions. This is getting much, much better, but tuning into some Division Three games can be jarring. The other thing is the overall expansion of the sport. There are so many markets in the U.S. that really should have a pro team that do not. How would you introduce a well-funded team into the system uh, in a way that um, makes sense? Some kind of play-in tournament? If I were to suggest the path forward, USL and NISA should work together to implement ProRel and ignore MLS they could really elevate the quality of their leagues to a place that competes with MLS and ends up being a better product. Kartik, uh, is he speaking to the choir there in terms of some of his thoughts? Uh, and, and yeah, with yours? yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Dan, uh, USL will vote uh, in two weeks uh, as we record this. Uh, 
August 8th and 9th, they have uh, league meetings in Colorado Springs. Uh, I'm uh, I, I'm reliably told that, that well, the Athletic has reported that ProRel, implementing ProRel is on the agenda. I'm reliably told that USL's uh, president, uh, Paul McDonough, uh, who formerly worked for Inter-Miami and Atlanta, two of the teams we spent a lot of time talking about today, uh, MLS teams, is he, lobbying clubs uh, to vote for it. And that um, uh, I, I think that we're in a position now where um, MLS has moved into the lower division space. I just wrote an article about this at Beyond the 90 this week, uh, which has got a ton of, uh, ton of traffic, uh, more traffic than anything in the history of the site, like exponentially more than anything in the history of the site. And MLS, and Chris, you have talked about this for years. You've warned about this. Um, MLS has moved into the lower division space with MLS Next Pro, and they moved into the youth space with MLS Next. And they're trying to consolidate the pyramid in kind of a closed league format. And so the real threat now is that uh, you mentioned NISA working with USL. That would be ideal, in my opinion, and NISA is very much into open systems and open soccer, and apparently they're going to have an announcement later this week about that. Uh, we'll see uh, what, 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 it, uh, what it entails. But um, my concern is that MLS is basically taking all of the – or trying to tempt all of the really strong independent clubs in NISA – to join MLS Next Pro, which will be a closed third, which is a closed third division, uh, with all the MLS reserve teams also, and keep them out of any kind of um, ecosystem outside of MLS that might implement ProRel, which would be presumably an ecosystem led by USL. So MLS um, is aware of this, uh, Dan, and as you said, they're an impediment. And not only are they an impediment, they're aggressively trying to move into the space to, to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, and I don't know if as many people are aware of that uh, as uh, as maybe should be, that MLS is uh, becoming very aggressive in their efforts to uh, to build their own lower division infrastructure, which will be, of course, closed. It'll be a closed league. Yeah, effectively, what they're trying to do is they're trying, MLS is trying to own soccer in the U.S. I mean, at every level, it's really kind of control it completely. All right, just a few more comments to go, and we've got some really good ones here. Uh, next up is NPOB1. He wants to talk about the uh, U.S. Open Cup. And he says, I'm so surprised that the, uh, that the U.S. Open Cup does not have a documentary feel by whoever is the lead broadcast partner. Uh, embed with a few smaller clubs and show that journey. You get that uh, behind-the-scenes inner workings, which leads to interest from, non, from non-soccer fans this is easy. And I think it's easy to do, but actually someone has to invest in that. Someone actually has to pay for it. I mean, the, technically, the rights holder is Turner Sports. They acquired the rights to uh, many of the U.S. men's and women's team, and included in that was U.S. Open Cup. I'd imagine, Kartik, if they had a choice it, when they were bidding for the rights, and if they said, hey, uh, we're going to sell the U.S. men's and U.S. women's rights separately and then also sell u.s open cup separately that they would not have bids on u.s open cup so i think it's one of those things it feels like they're they're stuck with it and just by their actions by sublicensing those games out to cbs sports network and the golasa network who have been showing a lot of the coverage of the u.s open cup so but but going back to npob one's uh, point about um 
having better production and having people tell the story of these teams and and seeing their path through that this journey. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think that would be wonderful. And, and that's a, that's actually a suggestion for me personally. Thank you, uh, Ford and, and POB1, because uh, that I, I could probably help find the club uh, at the lower division level, uh, presuming they qualify for the U.S. Open Cup. Although maybe cool to chronicle a, a club that has to go through the qualifying rounds. That's, uh, that's a whole other uh, uh, aspect of this. Uh, but... Even even if we were to skip that, just a club that has to start in the first round that's from an amateur league, it would be neat to chronicle. And this year we had Tulsa Athletic, um, and and uh, they have a great president and chairman, by the way, who's who's been really influential in lower division soccer through the years. They made a great run in the tournament. There's one of those stories every year, and uh, somebody needs to put the resources behind uh, it and the idea uh, to, to pick a club and just follow them through the tournament. Uh, the hard, until they're eliminated. The hard part, though, is is like, I mean, which club is that club that's going to yeah. be the story to tell? Because how many teams compete in the U.S. Open Cup from the from the beginnings? So, oh, uh, it's 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 close to two hundred, and you don't know which one it's going to be. That's absolutely right. I mean, the year Miami United down here made their run, and in that in their run, um, they they knocked off several pro teams. I, I never would have guessed it. I thought they would be out in the first round. Actually, I remember they played. Uh, I think in the first round, they played another uh, a good local club that I thought was better than them, and I thought they'd be gone. And they ended up going four or five rounds of the tournament, finally losing uh, to an MLS team. So you just never know who that club is. And I don't think it's the same thing if you pick a USL team, because these USL teams go deep, right? Uh, this year, Pittsburgh, Birmingham, right, et cetera. But that's, that's just not the same thing, right? You have to pick a, an amateur team. you got to pick a, a small team or, or, or a third division team at, at the highest and follow them through the tournament and, and pinpointing which one it's going to be really, really difficult. Yeah. And, and for that type of coverage too, like you mentioned, Kartik, uh, beyond the, beyond the 90, uh, dot substack.com is, is the place to go where you, I mean, really kind of dive into a lot of those topics. Uh, two more comments to go, um, both re- related. Chris says, I had a chat a few days ago with, uh, one of my friends who lives in Germany. And we were talking extensively about the pod you, d- you guys did a few weeks ago about the growing influence that uh, Saudi Arabia is having on soccer. One of the major concerns he has about this is that the Saudis and other nationalities will start lobbying the, the DFB Bundesliga to get rid of the 50 plus one rule so that they can start investing or buy in German clubs. He is especially concerned about a club like his, uh, which is Hamburg, being run by outsiders. With this concern in mind, my question to either of you is, do you see the DFB Bundesliga ever allowing foreign ownership or investment or abolishing the 50 plus one rule? I don't think they will. I think that there's so much hostility among German fans to it that it won't happen. Although there are ways around it in terms of sponsorship and, and getting revenue into clubs. And, and obviously, um, there is so much uh, backlash against Hoffenheim and, uh, um, and, and uh, Leipzig that I, I don't think the authorities would consider it. But I have to tell you, I mean, I think it's, uh, I, I'm a supporter of 50 plus one. I think it's really over the top. There's a, there's a history blogger that I, uh, that I, I follow that's, uh, you know, I follow him for history, historical stuff. He's kind of, you know, this, this centrist uh kind of leans conservative guy that that has takes on history but like soccer 
and decided he was going to follow a Bundesliga club and got like all of this mail from people in Germany like, you better not support Hoffenheim. They're evil. They're this, they're that. And I just think it's any same thing would happen with Leipzig, right? Um, I think it's over the top and, and all the um, stuff I read in the, from, from fans in Germany, oh, there's an Austrian uh, energy drink uh, uh, maker that, 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 that's, that's ruining our league. I, I just think it's way, way too much. But that's the reality. I don't think they would ever consider changing 50 plus one because there would be such a backlash among the fans. Now, I do think there were doors open for Saudi minority investment or Saudi sponsorship in the Bundesliga because I, I do think, Chris, if the Bundesliga, the Bundesliga's TV deal, domestic TV deal is a little better than Spain, Italy's, and then you know, Francis has been a complete mess. Uh, but at some point, um, the lack of foreign investment in the league is probably going to make it uh, make it less attractive in some ways than Spain, Italy, and France. Uh, well, when you complete, yeah, yeah, that's a good point though, because yeah, you said domestically the Bundesliga is doing better in Germany uh, than La Liga is doing in Spain. Well, in terms of uh, just in terms of the rights deal, I mean, I don't right, know if more right. people are watching just the money from the no, right from the, the, the money. Yeah, you, no, you're yeah, absolutely yeah. right. The, the reality is outside of that so internationally la liga is doing much better in terms of rights deals bringing in more money internationally than the bundesliga so so something if they want to compete if they want to be bringing in the stars trying to compete against la liga that that needs to change there somewhere and and maybe it is sponsorships um but I, i'm with you kartik i don't see them uh, changing or getting rid of the 50 plus 1 rule to me it's what makes uh, german football different and special it's, it's their differentiator and we've seen so many games the last few years with protests in the stadium with banners and i mean the german soccer fans are hardcore traditional all the way in 100 percent. i mean yeah ethics the whole thing and, and i just for, remembered i just i had totally forgotten chris byron uh, backed out of its deal with cut cutter airways because um of the backlash from fans and uh, Leon Goretzka, one of their stars, said, uh, you know, because of Qatar's uh, policy towards gays, that he didn't want any part of it. And uh, that, that created a backlash. So even a sponsorship like that, there's, uh, it, it, you can't do it in Germany. You can't get away with it. All right. Last question is, or last comment is from Ryan. Ryan says, with all of these sign-ins in Saudi Arabia and raising the profile of the league, it will mean nothing, in my opinion, if they are not able to land some hype, hype, some some type of TV deal in the US and other countries. I don't think the streaming service they are on now, which is Shahid, is a long-term solution for them to keep the league on, to keep the league on, considering it's $18 a month they want for a subscription and the lack of any advertisements they give to the league. I didn't know about uh, that service until coming on worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, do, they, do they provide English commentary? Should the Saudi Pro League try to find a good TV deal or get on a better-known streaming service? I think uh, if they don't have these signings, if they don't have it, these signings will, will mean nothing and the league will not grow. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Ryan, I, I agree with you that... Um, I mean, it's incredible the amount of players and how much they're getting paid. The exodus from Europe, these these top stars going to uh, Saudi Arabia. But if the vast majority majority of us cannot watch these games, 
how much how much meaning does that give the Saudi Pro League if people aren't really paying attention to it? Um, imagine if it was the Premier League, right? If it was the Premier League, if it didn't have um, easy accessibility to watch the games, would the Premier, Premier League be as popular as it is, even if it has the best stars? And, and the answer is no. It's, you have to have a really good TV deal or streaming deal and make it as accessible as possible. And the Saudis have so much money. If they wanted to, Kartik, they could probably go ahead and just uh, put everything on YouTube streaming for free and, and not worry about it. Just have people w- watching it. Uh, they can afford to do it. Um, but in terms of the marketing, it looks like they're way behind in terms of understanding the world of football. And maybe perhaps they don't care about the streaming. Maybe it's all about buying the best players and watching them locally and not caring about them, whether people around the world are actually watching those games. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I don't know, because I thought they would have done something a little more proactive by now. I mean, they had a team in the final of the Club World Cup this year, so their league is not already was at a decent level, at least the top team was, uh, before, uh, before all these signings. Yeah, I, I wonder, because we know you can have the top players. La Liga had the top players, but they were stuck on BN. So uh, so just for this country, for example, La Liga had the best players in the world, but they were stuck on BN. Their teams were regularly winning the Champions League. English teams weren't. But yet the Premier League had much greater numbers and much greater reach in this country because they had a, a partner in NBC Sports, which dwarfed BN. Um, having the right media partner is critical. Um which, again, I, 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 we beat this subject to death, but uh, time will tell whether MLS has the right global media partner or not um, in terms of their growth. I don't know what the Saudis' endgame is in terms of TV and streaming. I know what their endgame is in terms of their local population. This is kind of bread and circus in a despotic kingdom that's trying to change its reputation. This is kind of bread and circus for the local population. And it's a football-mad country, unlike China. So they'll eat it up. That's why... Some of the comparisons with the Chinese Super League, I, I don't really buy. Um, but it'll be really tough if we can't watch Benzema at all, if we can't watch Brozovic or oh man, all these guys. Uban Neves. Uh, I can't even keep track anymore of the number of guys go, that have gone to Saudi Arabia this summer or have been linked with a move to Saudi Arabia, uh, Mbappe being the latest that's linked. So uh, Hopefully we can watch these guys, or at least there's some sort of magazine program. Maybe they, they give the Paramount Plus in this country or uh, ESPN Plus or whoever, that at least we can see uh, the highlights with some context uh, uh, around these matches. Yeah, I think the other thing about this too is that you can't just uh, instantly expect fans, right? Uh, the fans of, I don't know, Al-Hilal or whichever, whichever team it is in Saudi Arabia. It takes time, investment. Uh, years of 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 work, and we've seen that from a lot of the the teams from overseas come into the U.S. every summer for the last what almost two decades plus, um, doing all the hard work, the marketing, the interviews, and and all the TV coverage and everything everything they do to try to grow the club, um, the fan base, and it's not going to happen automatically. So um, yeah, that, yeah, I would like to see I would like to see some of these games from the Saudi Pro League. I mean. And and yes, if I want to, I can subscribe to that eighteen dollars a month service. But on top of everything else that I'm paying for, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to do that. I mean, so there needs to be just like MLS season pass, offer it for free, get as many people in, and if it's good enough, they'll be hooked. And I think that's what comes down to it too, about Apple and and your question, Kartik, about whether this is the right deal or not. It all comes down to 
if it's worth watching, it's worth paying for. And if it's not worth worth watching, it's not worth paying for. So the jury's still out on this in, in terms of whether or not Apple's deal with MLS is going to be a big hit or a big miss. And judged judging by Tuesday's numbers of the number of people uh, coming to the website, thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming for more information about how to watch this game, uh, it's taken off. Definitely, it, it's getting bigger and better. All right, listeners, uh, we have a uh, very long episode this this time. So thank you so much for listening and staying with us. Um, and uh, it's been a break for three weeks, but we're back in action and we want to get your feedback also. Hence the reason that uh, we had so much uh, feedback this episode. We had three weeks worth uh, stored up. But um, let us know what feedback you have for us or questions uh, about anything we've talked about or uh, anything else you'd like to ask us. There's a few different ways you can get in touch. You can go to the website, worldsoccertalk.com, and click on Podcasts, and then leave your comment in the most recent episode. You can go to the, you can go to email and send us an email. Uh, that is web at worldsoccertalk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Talk.com. You can go to Facebook dot com slash world soccer talk send us a message through there uh twitter at world soccer talk youtube.com slash world soccer talk you can leave comments there on the videos there uh which is usually audio versions of this podcast and then i think that's about it oh voicemail 561-247-4625 kartik where can listeners uh who are interested in beyond the 90 uh, get more information and um, read that story about MLS Next Pro. And also, where can they find you on X, <laughs> the oh, new Twitter? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> on, on X or Twitter, it's KKFLA737 and uh, beyondthe90.substack.com. Lots of comments uh, already on that on that uh, article about MLS Next Pro and uh it's titled, it's kind of a sequel to the book I wrote for World Soccer Talk, Soccer Wars, uh, bringing us up to date to where we are today, which is where MLS is moving aggressively into the lower division space. And basically, if you haven't checked it out yet, check it out. There might be a club in your area that's a lower division club that you support, that you think is an independent, you think of as an independent club that might be playing in an MLS sanctioned MLS run league a year from now. So. Uh, check it out and and, uh, and learn more about what's going on in the lower divisions uh, as a result. All right. We've got a ton of games to watch uh, over the next week uh, before we do the next podcast. But Kartik, what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. Enjoy your football.